Welcome. You're listening to Living Faith Podcast. Starry skies, see your hand in time, in mind to lead me through the night. You'll turn with me in your Bibles to Acts 1, starting at verse 1. The Word of God says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. In verse 4, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. In our last verse, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. You may be seated. During the month and a half after Jesus died and rose from the dead, the Bible says that he appeared to the apostles from time to time, as we read. And imagine eating dinner and Jesus just walks through a wall. It pops up as you're washing the dishes. I can't even walk around the corner in my house without startling my wife. And I live there. I mean, I just said hi five minutes ago, and now she's jumping. I wonder how many days it took for them to get used to Jesus frequently appearing. But during these days, following the most impactful event in our history, Jesus appeared to women. He appeared to men. He spent time with them. He spoke to them. He encouraged them. He answered their many questions. I'm sure he laughed with them. And he instructed them. Jesus didn't die, come back, then leave his people to wonder what to do next. He laid out a clear plan that was reiterated repeatedly. 
Again, looking at Acts 1 and 4, Jesus said, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said, as I told you before, this wasn't the first time Jesus said these words. Jesus knew that this time was critical. He knew that he had to prepare his disciples and his apostles for the things that were to come. There were things coming that they did not understand yet, that they needed direction to receive a new and refreshing purpose for their lives. I want to look at Acts 2, a little bit further in the book of Acts, starting at verse 2. Look what happens. Many of us know this passage of Scripture. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled upon each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Jumping down to verse 11, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. And they stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? Jesus proved without a shadow of a doubt that he was alive and held all power over hell and the grave. Every time that we feel his presence in this place, we know that to be exactly true. Every time the Holy Spirit fills us and we begin to speak in other tongues, we know that he is alive. He is completely here in this moment with us. He's attentive to our needs and to our questions. I am forever grateful and filled with wonder that a Savior will come down from heaven and die on a cross for you and for me so we could have eternal life. This church is a book of Acts church. This church is a church of healings. Brother Mike, this church, he can attest to it, is a church of healings. Sister Marlene, this church is a church of prayer and healings. This church is where the Holy Spirit is being poured out, Sister Jen, and lives are being changed forever. Things that have never been experienced are happening right here in this building. It's where lives are turned around. It's where lives are made whole again. And as I was reading about the day of Pentecost, one of the most interesting recorded counts of Jesus appearing is in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 4. And the Apostle Paul writes, He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, 
he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. More than 500 of his followers, people who witnessed a man that was beaten and speared, tortured, nailed to a cross, murdered and put in a grave. A man that they knew, that they loved, they now saw walking around and having conversations with them and answering their questions. He didn't just show up, show himself, and then disintegrate into the heavens, never to be seen again. But the word says he interacted. He was attentive to his followers and to his believers. And I couldn't help but ask myself, what happened to the other 380 people who saw Jesus but were not in the upper room for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost? What happened? What took precedence over being in that moment? Did they forget what Jesus said? Did word not get to him? Was it a secret? Did Jesus only tell a handful? Did they miss the memo? They didn't get the email? We're meeting in the upper room on this day and this time. It's recorded that he didn't say it just once. The word of God says... As I told you before. I don't know where they went or what matters had to be attended to that were so important that they missed out on the most life-changing experience that ever could be had. I would like to think that they found their way back to the fold at some point once the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came to fruition that they were a part of the 3,000 pastor or the 5,000 or the other thousands that were added the days following that amazing moment. But the word of God doesn't say. And what a sad thing to think that they knew, but they didn't hold on. They didn't continue to believe that it was coming. Jesus revealed himself to over 500 after he resurrected, after he did exactly what he said he was going to do, over 500, but only 120 were in the upper room. 380 men and women who witnessed the resurrection of our Lord and Savior allowed Jesus' absence for just a few days to become so concerning that they didn't seek after what Jesus said was coming. Like you, I've often pondered what it would be like or what it would felt like to be in that upper room on that day. What power, what wonder, what sense of unity. What does the word say about what they did in that room during the days after Jesus ascended and told them to wait for the outpouring? What did they do? What were their actions? What were their conversations? What were their thoughts? Did they play music? What were some of their favorite songs? Was it King of Glory, like one of ours? Acts 1, 12 through 14 says, 
Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. And when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, and Judas. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. They were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Constantly united in prayer. How many have ever been to a week-long church meeting? Anybody else? Yeah? Take turns, go eat, come back. Lord wants you here. Seven days. I imagine that's probably the closest we've experienced to what was going on in the supper room. Business was taken care of, but they were united in prayer. Do I think that God would have still sent his spirit if they were not constant in prayer? I can't say. But as we seek to relive and to re-experience what happened on that historic day in that room, it doesn't hurt that our actions are modeled after what the 120 did in that upper room. It's why we pray when we gather. It's why we worship. It's why we are provoked by his word. It's why we teach our children in class about who Jesus is. It's why we have youth in hyphen class and we talk about what challenges us in the Bible. We desire that the spirit of God would settle on us like fire and to fill this entire building every time we get together the same way that he did on the day of Pentecost. We are not like the 380 that didn't stick around and stay close to God's promise of the outpouring, but instead we stay close to his plan. We stay close to where he is. We stay where the spirit will be. I realized as reading this story in the Bible that the closer that I get to his spirit and the closer I get to God, sometimes the crowd is a little bit smaller. Sometimes it is the minority. Sometimes there's 380 that made a decision to walk away where only 120 stay. And I started to become saddened by this. What what happened? But I felt my spirit tell me it's all right. Would you gladly trade it all? We just sang a song. I would trade it all. Trade every earthly benefit to just have a taste of his presence. Would you trade it all? Would you give up every relation to just have a little taste of his presence? There is nothing worth more. There is nothing that matters more. Oh, God, help us to not be disengaged like the 380. Help us to not put things above what you're calling us to and to your presence. Help us, God, to be focused, to, to not give up, to not give in, to follow the plan. 
Help us to have desire like the 120. Prayer, worship, his word, whether spoken or unspoken, are not options. Everything that was said and sang today could have fit right here. Brother Evan talked about options. Prayer, worship, and his word, they are not options. It is the recipe to a supernatural experience. It is the catalyst to us just having an okay service and having a move of God. When most of us come ready, Brother Brad, and prepared for a meal with the master, that's when supernatural and spiritual things take place. In John 4 and 23, Jesus is speaking to a Samaritan woman at the well, and she's asking him questions about physical locations and where they should worship God and who's right and who's wrong. And he responds with these powerful words. And he says, but the time is coming, indeed, it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. This is Jesus speaking. God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. An in-depth study of this passage of scripture and what spirit and truth means and what it says in the Greek language. And this, this study says that there is only one preposition for spirit and truth and that they should be viewed as a unit, not two separate entities. Jesus declared God is spirit. Since God is spirit and not limited to any one place or time, we know that proper worship for him is done in the spiritual realm because he is a spirit. In the spiritual sphere, that's where our hearts and our minds become focused on who God is. And true worship is only empowered by God's spirit. So to worship in spirit and in truth is only one concept. It is to worship in accordance with the truthful teachings of Jesus Christ, who defines God as a spirit. And it also defines acceptable worship as one done not in flesh, but in the spiritual depths of our heart and our mind. Furthermore, prayer is not just an external utterance of words. I've been challenged lately. Our pastor is a man of words. He has many words. <laughs> and he said something that words mean something. And I was reminded of this passage of scripture in Matthew 6, 7 through 8. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Prayer and worship. 
prayer and worship that ushers in a supernatural encounter is done in a supernatural place. We must always seek to have a connection that's deeper, as the song says, draw me closer, draw me deeper, a connection that is deeper than just the surface, the surface babblings, as Jesus said in Matthew. We need more. We must desire more. Every time we meet, we must push for an upper room occurrence. If we're not drenched in his spirit, then how can we expect that same outpouring in the upper room? How can we expect that same pouring out of power and unity if we are not operating in the spirit and if our prayers are just babbling words? Jesus says later in Matthew, that same book, that we should keep on seeking until, the, until we find and we should have fervent prayers and that we should fervently seek the spirit later again in first peter chapter 2 one of my favorite passages of scripture it says you are coming to christ who is the living cornerstone of god's temple he was rejected by people but he was chosen by god for great honor and you are living stones that god is building into his spiritual temple What's more, you are a holy priest. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. Spiritual sacrifices. Prayer, worship, and his word, both spoken and unspoken, are not options. They are the recipe to supernatural experiences. The 120 women and men didn't give up just after a couple days. I wonder if some of the 380 were there in the days leading up to it. And as things progressed and one day went by, maybe 10 left. Maybe a few more didn't follow. I got things to do. But they didn't give up after just a couple days. They made up in their minds that what Jesus told them was truth. And that they were going to see this thing through. They were going to be a part of this event regardless of what it takes. I love you all. But being stuck in one room with 120 people, I'm sure there were some difficult times. We're all human. We all make mistakes. But the difficulties did not outweigh what was to come. The difficulties did not overpower the words of Jesus and what he promised when he walked with them after his resurrection. The majority of those who witnessed Jesus' resurrection, they were not there. They were off doing other things. The majority may have seen the impact later, but they were not in that room. Jesus alludes to the fact that his church would start off small, but grow into something much bigger. He tells two stories in Matthew 13. He talks about the parable of the mustard seed, and he talks about the parable of the yeast. And in verse 31, he says, in another illustration Jesus used, 
The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches. In verse 33, he's talking about the parable of the yeast. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. The mindset of the minority is although we are small, coupled with the almighty spirit of God, we are unstoppable. After the outpouring in that upper room, that same day, 3,000, 3,000 in one day, 3,000 people believed and were added to the church. God is still alive. God is still pouring out his spirit on all mankind. And I'm so grateful that miracles are still happening, that souls are still being added to this church. But it started off with just a few. It started off with the minority. It started off with just a few people saying, I will be in this moment. Just a few to say that I'm going to pray without ceasing. Just a handful of women that lift their voice and usher in God's presence. A few men of God that don't remain quiet, although the majority stays quiet. Some believers that are like the disciples and they say, we have seen God do so many miracles. I can't give up now. I can't give up now. I'm closing as the musicians come. Jesus knew that there would be doubters. That some, even the majority, would not believe even after he rose from the dead and showed himself to over 500 of his followers. In Luke 16, Jesus is telling the story of the rich man who goes to hell and is in so much torment that he begs Abraham to send someone to his brothers to warn them of this fate. And in the very last verse of that story in Luke 16, 31, Jesus says, but Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. God, I don't want to be found being a part of the 380. I don't want to be part of a group that's not convinced that Jesus is going to do exactly what he says he is going to do. All that they saw, all that they heard, all that they felt, and still things took precedence over that moment. Things were more important than a supernatural experience. Maybe it's the way I look, the way I sound. There are things that prevent us from experiencing something supernatural. It's our humanity. It gets in the way. All that they saw all that they felt and heard and still 
I make this declaration today that Jesus is coming back. He told the disciples in Mark chapter 13, he said it again in John 14, the angels that appeared to the disciples after Jesus' ascension into heaven reaffirmed this in Acts 1. Revelations 22 says, look, I am coming soon. Oh God, I want to be found in the upper room. I want to be found with 120 spreading the gospel. I want to be found full of your spirit and, and not putting other things that are, are less important over your calling in my life. I've seen way too many miracles. I've seen way too many powerful situations to believe that God is not real and coming back soon. A recent song release proclaims these words. I've lived stories that proved your faithfulness. I've seen miracles my mind can't comprehend. And there is beauty in what I can't understand. Jesus, it's you. I believe that you're the wonder-working God. You are the wonder-working God. All the miracles that I've seen, it's too good to not believe. You're the wonder-working God, and you heal because you love. Oh, the miracles we will see, it's too good to not believe. We're going to begin praying in just a moment. We're not praying to just fill the room with words so it sounds nice and full. But we're going to pray for a supernatural experience. We're going to pray that that experience lingers in this building. That week in and week out, we don't just get through service. But that we have an upper room experience every time. I'm praying that an upper room experience happens in your home as you and your spouse pray together, as you and your kids are going to sleep, that God would just settle in the room and that you would feel something. There are some here who have yet to receive the Holy Spirit. That can happen right here and right now. There are those who need healing. That can happen right here and right now. We are the 120. We are the people who know that God is real and with us. Young man, if, if you haven't spoken in tongues in a while, now is the time to seek God and be refilled. Young woman, if there are things preventing you from stepping into God's calling, now is the time to lay it down at his feet. They were in one mind and one accord. The Spirit moved in that room, and we're praying that right now that God would move in a mighty way. This, this front is open. Maybe you sit at your seat and you just bask in the presence of God, but there are miracles that are waiting to happen. We declare miracles in this place. We pray against doubt. Oh, hold on, child of God. I pray against doubt. 
Lord, I pray against confusion. Just don't give up. It's right there. Just wait a couple more days. Wait a little while longer. His promise is coming. The Spirit is coming. You just have to keep pushing. Don't give up. Push for a deeper connection. If you haven't felt it in a while, do something different. Don't give precedence to something else. He's coming back soon, church. He is coming back soon. And we have to be so full of his spirit that nothing else can fit, that there's no room for anything else. We need a supernatural experience because God has not forsaken us. Oh, it's only been a little while, church. Don't give up. It's only been a little while. We've only been on this earth for a short time. Don't give up. God, we need it. We need a supernatural. We need a spiritual manifestation of his spirit. Can we just take a moment and and, and pray, church? Heavenly Father, or like the 120 in the upper room, we're praying right now. Lord, we're being constant in our prayers to you. Lord, to do what you said you're going to do. Lord, do what you said you're going to do. There are prodigals that are represented in this building. And we're praying right now, God, that you would draw them back to this place. Draw them back to your presence. Draw them back to a place of love, of hope and freedom. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. You've been listening to the Living Faith Everett podcast series. Tune in next week for the next part of this series, or join us online at livingfaithministries.church. In the Holy Ghost, you give me peace.